Hello and welcome to another episode of CISO Tradecraft, the podcast that provides you with the information, knowledge, and wisdom to be a more effective cybersecurity leader. I'm your host today, G. Mark Hardy, and we're going to be talking on part two about how we train people to become really good incident responders within a security operations center. And to do that, we have on our show again, Hassan Exi from CyberNow Labs, and we're going to be discussing 20 skills that are important for incident responders in a security operations center, or SOC, to operate effectively. Now, if you were here on our last episode, I will cover the first 10 and a quick recap. If you want to hear more in detail, of course, go listen to that episode. And then we're going to pick up with number 11. But the first are cybersecurity fundamentals. You should actually understand what you're doing. Incident detection, an ability to find out when something goes wrong. Threat intelligence, being able to perceive what the potential opponent is up to. Cybersecurity tools, gaining a proficiency in what you'll need to do there. Network analysis, interpreting the packets and what's going on. Endpoint analysis, being able to read what's coming in from the EDRs. Log analysis, being able to go through our log systems and discern what's happening there. Malware analysis, looking at things that have been captured and what can we do with it. Forensics, which of course is a big part of it, pretty much anything that's going to be involving cybersecurity and vulnerability assessment. But before we get going, let me share with you quickly a message from our sponsor. Do you currently manage multiple compliance frameworks? Are they causing inefficient processes, departmental friction, or staffing issues? Have you ever considered outsourcing your entire compliance program? There's a better way with Risk 360. When you partner with them, you get a streamlined and unified compliance strategy that harmonizes audits. And it consolidates frameworks, reduces friction, saves costs, and allows you to focus on what's most important, growing your business. Leave your compliance, security, and privacy programs in the capable hands of the Risk 360 team. Reach out to them to learn more at risk3sixty.com. All right, well, back to our SOC skills with Hassan. And our 11th skill is the ability to perform incident triage. Essentially, you need the skill to prioritize and categorize incidents based upon their severity and impact. Remember, most SOCs will see hundreds to thousands of alerts a day per analyst. So having the ability to say, mm, that's a false positive, or, well, that looks real, and that looks really bad, that's very important. So Hassan, are there any good tips to help improve incident responders' ability to triage and to be able to go ahead and prioritize? Um, yes, yes, of course. I think um, one of the key things that helps the most is um, for those analysts to develop a strong understanding of their environment, knowing exactly the specifics of the environment that you're protecting is key, uh, knowing what you're protecting. And, and what do I mean by that? I mean things like normal network behavior. I mean critical assets um, and business processes and, and understanding the business itself as well. And it helps you set a baseline and quickly identify what's out of place and what's potentially harmful. And aside from this, I would say, um, um, as, as always, knowing your tools, uh, trusting your gut, uh, never hesitating to collaborate because it's a team effort. And, and if you are unclear about something, um, don't hesitate to escalate. That's a very good point there because sometimes a higher level of a SOC is going to have a, a, you know, different tiers will have different expertises and what somebody at uh, tier one is going to miss, but just doesn't look right. 
Uh, don't just throw it away, as you said, and assume, well, maybe it'll go away by itself. Uh, a skilled attacker may be very, very subtle, and it's only those advanced levels that are going to be able to see that. So excellent insight. Now, our 12th skill is to understand incident response frameworks. And you can inspect insurance companies, and auditors, and regulators to ask how incident response is done. And if you can say it's done following a formally recognized standard or framework like NIST or ISO 27035, that avoids a lot of questions such as, well, why is your organization doing something different or non-standard? Now, Hassan, is there a good way to highlight what's required by certain standards so people don't forget about it, let's say, 12 months later? Yeah, this um, this reminds me of the saying, if you don't use it, you lose it, because this is usually what happens in the real world, because everyone may have their own way of doing things and, and definitions and terminologies that they use. And um, one way to not lose it is to create quick reference guides or simply put cheat sheets for various standards like NIST or ISO. Um, depending on your industry. And these should uh, highlight only the core principles without going into detail and requirements of, of each standard, making it easy for the team to quickly reference and digest the information they need. And if, if, you're, if you're talking about NIST, this would be identify, protect, detect, respond, recover. If you're talking about ISO, um, there are about 14, I think, which we're not going to go into because it's way too long. Um, but um, the, the, the second thing I would say that, that helps is integrating these standards into um, your uh, standard operating procedures or SOPs, as we call it, or, or your daily language that you use in the SOC. And, and when you have these guidelines embedded in the, in the daily workflow and processes, it becomes more natural and less likely to be forgotten. Um, and you need to keep things obviously up to date and have a managed process where you can distribute and update your team on a weekly, monthly, quarterly basis and, and encourage um, continuous learning because things change um, pretty fast. And, and, and of course, you know, this, of course, really depends on how busy you are with all the other stuff because there are other thousands of things happening in the SOC on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, we agree. And I think the key point that you made is when you have the guidelines embedded in your daily workflow and processes, it's going to become reflexive. People aren't going to have to stop and think, well, what do I do differently now? Because they'll be doing what they've always been doing. And uh, in a way, you respond the way you've been trained. And so if we train using the types of tools that we're going to respond with, it works really well. Well, thank you for that one. So the 13th skill then is communications. And I think you'd be surprised just how important effective briefing and writing skills can be in the workplace. Uh, and they, people in a SOC, if you're working there or you're going to be interacting with anybody outside, uh, you're going to have to be able to report incidents and coordinate responses in a timely manner. So, Hassan, are there any good practices to help people with their communication skills that, that you've seen? Um, sure. I, I, was, I was lucky enough to be in environments where I can be fully transparent uh, with with my team and, and colleagues, and this took care of a lot of the things that when it comes to communication, I think one of the key things is encouraging uh, folks to have open lines of communication with you, whether you're working as a tier one or tier three or subject matter expert or as a SOC manager, director, it doesn't really matter, and and having an open and respectful discussions and, and encourage everyone to talk and, and 
and, and more importantly, do this every day because it's easy to forget. Um, and at the end of the day, uh, we should all remember we're here to do the, you know, what's right for the company and, and work as a team and, um, and don't assume people know stuff just because they've been around for a while um, more than you do. Uh, in fact, um, it may be the other way around, and I've seen cases like this. So if you see something, uh, say something, uh, you may be contributing to the overall team and uh, helping things move uh, forward in a, in a more effective way by, by doing that. Right. So speaking with your fellow team members, as well as, of course, what we were saying is being able to communicate externally. And what I have found is that for anybody who wants to improve their speaking skills, there are a lot of resources out there. Uh, for those who think public speaking might be something that they want to do, which doesn't necessarily have to be public speaking. It could be writing and delivering presentations to management. Toastmasters is popular. There's a lot of chapters all around. I have never gone to one. I understand that they're, they're quite well. I started doing my public speaking was a long time ago. And as a result, like anything else, a lot of practice will help you get there. And as a re better communicator, you are able to build trust more easily with people because they understand that when you're speaking, you have content that is valuable, it is relevant, and of course, you want it to be accurate. So let's look at our 14th skill, collaboration, because we want to remember that incident responders often find something that's broken and needs to be fixed by somebody else, like a developer or a system administrator. So you need the ability to work effectively with cross-functional teams, including IT and legal and management. Um, Hassan, let's, let's, for example, how should a SOC work with the legal department? Don't work, don't work with legal, stay away as much as you can. Just kidding, just kidding. Um, it is um, w when working with teams, first of all, um, that have different focuses and, and expertise and legal team is one of them. Um, we need to accept the fact that, that every team has their own priority list and it's different um, almost 100% of the time from ours. And, and in my opinion, the best way to go up on the priority list is to allow the legal team, in this case, to uh, them to educate us about us being the SOC team about what they do, how they do, um, the type of business that we're in, and what we should, what we should expect um, from each other as a team. And, and here's the tricky part, and be genuinely interested in what they have to offer. Um, and, and this will open a line of communication and trust between the teams. And from this point on, the most effective way is, is in my opinion, is to uh, include legal teams in your incident response drills and exercises. This not only helps the legal team understand their role in a security incident, but also allows the SOC team to understand how legal considerations can impact incident response as well. Um, contract, um, for example, contract or vendor management is a good example. Uh, it's, it's another area of interest for SOC teams. I have worked with third-party risk management teams in the past and, and, and found legal teams' assistance to be very, uh, extremely helpful, uh, especially where data sharing or third-party risk are concerned, especially in overseas incident response cases as well. Yeah, and so from a legal perspective, as you had mentioned a couple of things, I just kind of want to recap. Number one, of course, is making sure we operate within the law. And for the most part, it means we're defensive. I remember 
Back in the 90s, I worked for a company called Secure Computing Corporation, and they had a software product called Sidewinder. It was a firewall, and it was a site, it was a firewall that strikes back. Essentially, if it detected an incoming attack, it would then go ahead and return it and said, okay, nice try, look what I can do to you, boom. Well, uh, the problem was is that attackers very quickly learned how to do a reflective attack, and so they would bounce it off of somebody else, and if you fired back, you'd you take out an innocent third party. So we've made that unlawful. And as a result, for the most part, having the legal team who understands the cybersecurity framework, and sometimes they don't because it's not their core area of expertise. They're not there just to do cyber. They're there to do contracts and other types of relationships and things such as that regulations. So in a way we can help inform the legal team of what they need to know about things such as that. And the other end, as you had mentioned on third party risk and uh, legal uh, terms and conditions, being able to have a contract. And quite often we find that when a security product or tool, we want to add this to our SOC, there's going to be a whole big long list of terms and conditions. And usually they benefit the person who writes them. And I've talked to other CISOs who say it could take six months to a year to get everything through contracting and legal to get that contract worked out. Another insight that I might want to add on legal department is if you're looking at managed services for emergency response. So we go to third party companies out there who say, hey, in the case of emergency break glass, call our number and we'll send our responders over. And you can set up a, an arrangement for that. Sometimes it's going to be a existing agreement that activates when you need them, or you could just review the contract and make sure it's good to go and you've worked out the T and C. But the last thing you want to be doing when facing an emergency is having to be delayed while you go to the lawyers and they say, well, you know, give us about three or four weeks to get to this thing because, yeah, you're important, but that big deal we got trying to get some shipping container over there from this country or we're trying to close on a merger and acquisition, that's an even bigger deal. And yep. therefore, get this thing through the process in advance. And sometimes you have to pay a retainer. And that retainer, is, but we don't need them yet. But here's what's going to happen. If you ever did have a, a, an incident and you had to call up for incident response, and you got two people calling at the same time. Let's say there's something like a not pet show and it's hitting a lot of people. Uh, the one says, hey, I'm a paying customer. Can you help me? And someone else says, hey, I'd like to sign an agreement. Remember me? We talked about eight months ago when I talked to your salespeople. We, well, we're in trouble and we think we want to sign you. They've only got the bandwidth for one. It's going to be the paying customer. So like anything else, they're going to deal to the money. So good insight on that. Now, the 15th skill is documentation. Remember, auditors need to see evidence. And evidence is also important to show that you disclosed data breaches within certain reporting requirements. And of course, we're seeing a lot in the news today about organizations facing legal consequences, having had breaches and certain regulatory agencies not satisfied with the response, but we're not gonna get into that here. But incident reports are gonna be the key for root cause analysis. So we wanna make sure that our, our SOC team has a process to keep detailed records of incidents, actions taken, and of course, come up with lessons learned. Hassan, what are some of the common ways that you see this being performed by larger organizations today? Um, most large organizations today use tools um, in some way or form. Um, I'll name a few. It could be IBM, SAR, ServiceNow, etc., uh, to make sure incident responders play uh, follow the playbooks and and don't skip a step. 
Um, the work that we do is, it can be very tedious sometimes, maybe not sometimes, most of the time. Um, and it's, it's easy to skip things in the grand scheme of things. And, and I have, I have a few, um, uh, tips and advices here for, uh, mainly tier ones. Um, number one is to review, um, other tickets when they join a company to quickly learn and get up to speed and really understand what the organization is looking for in terms of documentation. Um, because every organization is different, every business is different, and the requirements are maybe different um, as well. And and what's critical for one organization may be medium or high severity for the other organization. Um, and, and subject matter experts play a big role here in the SOC because they need to set uh, an example for others. Uh, others mean all the tier twos and, and ones and everyone else in the, in the SOC uh, for others to follow. Um, once that's in place, the rest sort of um, comes easily. The second one is, is not to forget that the goal of documentation in a SOC is not to just not, uh, have a, um, a record, so to say, or close a ticket, uh, but to use that record for improving future responses, ensuring compliance, uh, and providing transparency in the event of audits or legal inquiries. And, and that, that happens very often. That makes good sense. And I think documentation, particularly in a SOC, is key. I know that when I've tried in smaller organizations and someone said, hey, there's something going on. Okay, well, let me fix that. Maybe it's fast. Well, let yeah. me do a little bit more. And then after a while, you realize, whoa, something's really going on here. But unless you had been taking notes all along, you're going to forget or miss it. And especially if you break something accidentally while you're trying to go ahead and make something better, if you don't have contemporaneous notes, it's going to be uh, difficult, if not impossible, to reconstruct exactly what happened. And so it's a really good habit that no matter how simple it is, uh, is the monitor unplugged? Something stupid like that. Well, start writing it down. Is the monitor, yes, it was unplugged. Okay, then fine, throw that one piece of paper away. But if you find out as you go through that it's a lot more detailed than that, you've got your notes from the very beginning. And that type of additional documentation, in addition to the documentation for here's how we do our processes and our procedures, is going to really, really help in the long run. Let me share with our audience a, a sponsor message from our additional sponsor uh, this week, which is AdLumen. AdLumen provides enterprise-grade security to mid-market organizations. Its security operations platform and managed detection and response services combine all your data into one view to eliminate security risks and accelerate security workflows. Security teams are often stretched thin, and they must respond to increasing threats like ransomware and data theft. AdLumen's patented technology simplifies these challenges by providing machine learning detection and automated response capabilities to halt threats quickly. The platform also includes threat hunting, automated incident response, vulnerability management, honeypots, darknet exposure monitoring, compliance reporting and monitoring, and more. So see how AdLumen can enhance your security program without increasing your workload. AdLumen, A-D-L-U-M-I-N.com. Our 16th skill is memory analysis. That is, knowing how to analyze memory dumps for signs of malicious activity. For example, today it's common to see fileless malware. Attackers basically live off the land to exploit systems. Now, how are you going to do that? For example, you can run a PowerShell command. 
PowerShell is already there. The presence of PowerShell on a Windows machine is not suspicious. In fact, it's suspicious if it's not there. But you run a PowerShell command that'll run in memory, and that could exploit some legacy printer driver that has a buffer overflow. None of that touches the hard drive. So Hassan, what are some good ways or tools to help incident responders identify malicious activities happening in memory? Um, first off, hopefully you have um, at least an EDR or XDR running in your environment. I'm, I'm hoping for anyone doing this. And if you have one of those, to those tools in your environment, what it's going to help you is, it is basically uh, detect most, if not all, cases where you need behavioral analysis to determine malicious activity. And, 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 and this is pretty much the only way to, to really do this. And, and what does that allow you? Monitoring command line activity via your EDR tool, let's just say CrowdStrike, will help you detect malicious behaviors and produce what we call uh, indicators of compromise, IOCs. Um, these IOCs can then be used for um, uh, scenario-based threat hunting activities to make sure all possible use cases are, are covered. Two of the open source tools that, that I've seen um, very useful um, are in the past are, are Redline and Volatility. Um, to this date, they're still very uh, uh, popular. And uh, Volatility for memory dump and, and Redline for uh, memory analysis. Uh, Redline is, is actually, that's one of the FireEye or I think Mandiant's with, with its new name uh, a tool. It's still open source. And, and you can also leverage um, internal AI language models or generative AI um, to determine uh, what those command line arguments are carrying out in the back end. Um, because it may not be very obvious when you first um, see it. It may need some deciphering sort of um, to really understand what, it's, what it is trying to do. But once you do that, then you, you pretty much you know, get the idea, oh, this is what it's trying to do. Okay, great. And, and um, I'm also hoping if all of this uh, fails that you have a forensics or malware person on your team to, to support you because it's a very uh, tricky uh, uh, thing to do. Yeah, very good point. And of course, that might be when you phone a friend, so to speak, and take advantage of, of having some deep expertise from a third party. Our 17th skill for SOC teams is incident containment and eradication. And if we take a look at what Gene Schultz had put together at Department of Energy, what we call the Pickerel model, preparation, identification, containment, eradication, recovery, and lessons learned. So P-I-C-E-R-L, hence the acronym. And this framework gives us the best chance of success by removing bad actors from our environment, uh, doing it in a way that we make sure we get the results we want, and then help us know what to look for if they try to come back in. Um, is there any good lessons learned regarding eradicating bad actors from a network? I think one good lesson learned for me um, uh, was um, something that's very tricky, too, uh, is being able to understand the full scope um, of what's happening while also not tipping off the attacker. Mm -hmm. um, this way, we make sure we're not giving them a chance to change anything, change tactics, destroy evidence, um, or accelerate uh, things on their end, their attack in, in some other way or form. Um, this, this really helps. Uh, the, the other thing 
Uh, other lessons uh, learned for me is, is having a solid malware or forensics person on the team to get to the bottom of things and, and, and for root cause analysis and lessons learned. And here's why it's important, um, because at the end of the day, it, it really helps me as a SOC manager when, when I'm able to get in front of the, the business and say, we will not get compromised using the same method again. It's not 100%, of course, 99.9%. But mm-hmm. being able to say that really helps. And you can only do that if you've done your root cause analysis and, and, and lessons learned thoroughly with the right people on your team. Very, very, very good point on that. And then the other thing I always like to emphasize when I used to teach about uh, incident response is that contain before eradicate, P-I-C-E. And just Mm -hmm. making a little side note on that, because the analogy I would do is you have your little five-year-old comes in the front door with a box full of crickets. Hey, time for dinner. Okay, well, put the box of crickets up in his bedroom. And later that night, you're going to find them all over the house. Is it easier to contain them? And then said, no, you take that box right outside or wait till they're all over the house and then try to eradicate them one at a time. So contain before eradicate, meaning we disconnect, we lock something down because you want to avoid that lateral spread sideways. And as you had mentioned, again, kind of uh, number eight, and number nine, our forensics and malware uh, are going to be very useful skills to have access to in the event of that type of event or an incident. So let's get to our 18th skill. It's scripting and automation. And being able to code in the scripting language means that incident responders can automate tasks. I've got a a book on my shelf. I'm not very good at reading it, but it's basically PowerShell in 30 days of lunches. And I'm thinking, first of all, it'd be useful to learn. And secondly, it's like, well, I'm a C, so I shouldn't have to get down to that level. But we're talking about SOC teams who should know how to do this, or at least some people, and that can help their careers if they gain expertise in scripting. And so it's a good thing if you can automate tasks. Um, so Hassan, is knowing how to script a valuable and useful skill these days, or is it not really that useful anymore in the era of GPT? And do you see more responders maybe even using uh, SOAR tools to perform this type of functionality? It's, it's extremely valuable um, still today. And, and to be able to automate uh, a CTO, a friend of mine used to say, if I'm doing something more than 10 times, I'm writing a script for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was sort of his, his motto. Um, and uh, SAR so tools are great. Um, and it, it stands for Secure or- Orchestration and Automation Response, by the way. Um, and, they're, and they're great. Um, and they, they offer powerful capabilities for automating security workflows, you know, the ability to script remains a highly valuable skill for two reasons, um, I think. Number one, not everyone can afford a SAR tool, so be ready for some hands-on automation work. Um, not everyone has you know, the, the resources to pay for it, so be ready when that, if that's the case. A cost-effectiveness, especially nowadays, uh, means a lot for some companies out there. And uh, number two... Um, which is, uh, which is even more important, a customization and flexibility is still an issue for some SAR um, tools or providers out there. And, and sometimes what you really need is something fast and right away, like right now or in the next 30 minutes, an, an hour, and, and you don't have the time and the resources to invest. That's, that's, that's when it comes very, very uh, handy. And, and lastly, um, 
scripting requires a fundamental understanding of the systems and networks. And this deeper understanding can be crucial in identifying and mitigating sophisticated uh, threats or attacks in your environment. It really, it, it really does compared to someone who, who only uses a SOAR tool. Um, it, it, it helps you in the long, in the long term. And I will agree with you because if you get too abstracted from the environment in which you're trying to defend, you're not going to be able to pick things up and you're not going to be able to do very specific probes. Because when you're scripting, remember, um, um, when you're scripting, what's going to happen? Your script will not work. Oh, why doesn't it work? Oh, it doesn't work because that port is closed or because I need to send it in in this format, not in that format. And that helps you again. uh, stay in the environment and, and really mm-hmm. understand how things work in the background. Very good insight on that. Thank you for elaborating. So our 19th skill is cloud security. And we want our defenders to understand security in cloud environments so they can respond to incidents involving, well, our cloud resources. This is key because the way, for example, AWS does things in the cloud is going to be different from the way that VMware is going to do things on-premises. And knowing how tokens and session keys and other secrets can be stolen is really important here. Hassan, how important is it for incident responders to understand cloud security? How do I say extremely? Um, well, extremely. It's not, it's not, I don't think, it's not just important, but, it, but it's essential for incident responders to have a solid grounding in cloud security uh, principles and, and practices as as cloud ad- adaption continues to grow, which it will, um, the ability to respond to cloud-based incidents effectively will be a key um, differentiator in the effectiveness of any cybersecurity team out there. And as you highlighted, cloud requires a different mindset from on-prem. And even more importantly, each cloud provider has their own way of doing things. Um, I think the key is to understand Cloud environments often operate under different security models compared to traditional on-prem infrastructures. And um, incident responders need to understand these models like the shared responsibility model in in AWS to effectively do their job. And the best way, in my opinion, to start um, is is, starting with one of them and really becoming an expert at it uh, by diving into it. You'll find the others much easier to adapt um, along the way. You don't need to be an expert on all of them. That's a good point. And there's also multi-tenant management tools for organizations that are in different clouds. Uh, But the idea of saying, hey, we are just an Azure shop or we are just gonna be a Google or a computer or Amazon, it's kind of quaint. Uh, It's kind of where we all started, but reality is you take advantage of things, particularly companies that do mergers or acquisitions, uh, you may find yourself in a very heterogeneous type of environment. Okay, our 20th skill of 20 is crisis management. And essentially we need responders to have the ability to handle high pressure situations calmly and effectively. And this may mean working long hours during big incidents. And you can think of professions like military or firefighters or even EMTs. They have to ensure the job gets done no matter what, uh, which is tough, especially when you have to balance a family life and, and other competing priorities. So Hassan, any tips that you have for our listeners on how to get better at crisis management? This reminds me of Mike Tyson saying, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. (laughs) 
And, and when I think about crisis management, I think about what helps me with becoming ready when I get punched in the face and, and I will get punched in the face. It's not uh, a question of, you know, if, but it's when, right? And uh, well, the answer is getting punched in the face. Um, I need to do that from time to time to really experience it, right? Um, and, and tabletop exercises, breach attack simulations, um, things of that nature. And there, there are multiple ways and names, acronyms here. Uh, but tabletop exercises, what we usually use, or breach, breach simulations, it plays the biggest role, I think, um, mainly because it helps us go through that experience, even if you know it's not real. And in the worst case scenario, what happens is you at least get to know about a playbook and key decision makers during a crisis. And it's like knowing your North Star. You have a direction and, and some level of guidance. You may not know all the details, but you know what to follow uh, at the very least. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, wow, that, this is a tremendous wealth of knowledge. And thank you for sharing this from what incident responders uh, need to learn. There's technical, analytical communications, uh, interpersonal abilities that any incident responder is going to need to excel in a SOC environment. And it's also great to hear that these are exactly the types of things that you're creating with people going through your program at CyberNow Labs. And remember, listeners, if you're listening for great inter or looking for great incident response talent, be sure to check out this program. So Hassan, um, we're getting close to the end of our show here. So any departing thoughts you would like to leave with our listeners? Sure. Steve Jobs says, stay hungry, stay foolish. And I like to change that a bit and say, stay curious and stay persistent. Um, and, and cybersecurity is not a rocket science. Anyone can do it and master it um, as well. That's all I have to say. Thank you. Excellent. So, hey, not that they were going to have a quiz at the end, but kind of a quick recap here at the summary. So the 20 SOC skills that we have enumerated over these two episodes, cybersecurity fundamentals, incident detection, threat intelligence, cybersecurity tools, network analysis, endpoint analysis, log analysis, malware analysis, forensics, vulnerability assessment, incident triage, incident response frameworks, communication, collaboration, documentation, memory analysis, incident containment and eradication, scripting and automation, cloud security and crisis management, a very comprehensive list that you put together. And we've gone into the details on all of them. So this is a tremendously valuable episode for those who are doing SOC training programs, for those who want to aspire to work in the SOC and be able to gain those skill sets and to know what is it that I should be spending my time on. And then ultimately those who are managing SOCs to be able to evaluate their effectiveness and say, I need to provide a little bit more emphasis or capabilities for this versus that. So, so thank you for all that you've shared. And I guess one last question, if someone wanted to get in touch with you, what's the best way to reach you? Feel free to email me at hassan at nationalcyber.com. That's H-A-S-A-N at nationalcyber.com or via LinkedIn. Excellent. Well, hey, thanks again for coming on the show. And thank you again, listeners, for coming to increase your CISO tradecraft. We hope you've enjoyed learning these 20 important skills that incident responders need. And as always, if you found this episode helpful, do us a favor and share it with your friends at work. Uh, share it on social media. 
and uh, do us a favor, subscribe if you're following us on YouTube. Uh, we'd like to see more subscribers on our Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, YouTube, as I said, or LinkedIn. And one last ask, do us a favor and check out our sponsors. They keep the show free to you, and we think you're going to really like what they've got out there for the tool sets. So that's it for today's show. Have a wonderful day, and until next time, stay safe out there.